Well, thank you everyone for that beautiful worship. We're now going to turn our attention to the scriptures. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 12, starting at verse 22 this morning, working through uh, the church lectionary on the Christian calendar. We are in what's known as ordinary time. It's a time where we explore what it means to be a Christian in the 24-7 everyday reality that we all experience. And I believe that this morning's text is an extremely helpful guide. Um, It is one of the sweetest teachings that Jesus offers his people. And really, I think we're going to explore a, uh, a distinction that I think many of us have heard before, but is such a helpful reminder to us as we walk out our days to keep in mind. It's really the distinction of uh, the choice that we get to make between building our own kingdom or living in God's kingdom, right? And this is a, a choice that really, when we wake up in the morning, whether we know it or not, we're making it. Um, and so my hope is that through reading this text, it will help us to pick up on Jesus' perspective, his power, his invitation, and then that would uh, be an invitation to you to join in this kingdom life that Jesus is offering. So hear these words from Luke 12, 22 through 34. It says this, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more important than food, and the body is more important than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life. Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the wild flower, consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for uh, the beauty of who you are, um, and how we get to worship you and come to know you um, through singing songs that uh, declare that you are our heart's desire. And we want to renew 
our connection, our faithfulness, our love to you. We want to know you. We want to be in relationship with you. And so help us to move from the ways and worries of, and our schemes that we have uh, to build our own kingdom and help us to simply rest in the reality of yours. In your precious and holy name that we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. One of my favorite quotes to begin a sermon with is from A.W. Tozer. And it says this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I want you for a moment to do this practice, to think. What does come to mind when we say the word God? What is the picture in your head? Would you just take a moment as I say God, what images in your mind begin to pop? And today, the thread that I want to pick on is how old is God? Like when you picture God in your mind, do you picture somebody with a big flowing white beard who's wise and older? And of course, this would be one of the images that we have of God because it's depicted everywhere. From Sunday school on out into the broader culture, we get this picture of God as older and wise. And we know why we get this picture, because we're trying to communicate something, that God has been around a long time. But sometimes this picture can enter into our theology, and then what we think about God is a little inaccurate, right? Because God is not old. God is eternal. And one of the most beautiful uh, teachings from G.K. Chesterton is his teaching on the ways in which God is young. He describes how God gets up each and every day and declares again to creation, let the sun rise, let the plants grow, let there be a new day to unfold. And this is a way of describing the eternal youth of God. And as we grow older and take on responsibilities and become weary, God remains young in this way, creative, dynamic. We know our children are just so much more endlessly creative than we are, and God is more like them in this category. And, and so we see this picture with all of these images of creation. God is trying to say something about time, isn't he? And this is an important thing to teach people, especially people that are trying to build their own kingdom. And God has a big move here to play. He says, I know what you worry about. I know what you're anxious for. How are you going to clothe yourselves? What food are you going to eat? How are you going to just sustain your life? How are you going to have a life where your basic needs are met? This is a question that we face every day. We worry about. 
Now, sometimes in our area, that's more about the quality of life than it is having our basic needs met, which we feel pretty certain will probably happen in one way or another. But that's even more a distance from what Jesus is getting to the heart of. It's like even with all that we actually have, we still worry about these things. And so God is speaking right, and through Jesus is speaking right to the heart. And he's addressing this instinct in us. Try as we might. We build skyscrapers and make movies and create metaverses and modern marvels like the internet and globalization and yet, can we add a single hour to our lives? Now, we can have some nice creams to put on. Uh, we could uh, go on a diet that we think would help. There are surgeries out there that are all supposed to help you with this human dilemma. And in fact, I wonder how many movies, how many movies uh, sci-fi or not the villain at his core is really trying to solve this problem, right? This problem of time, this thing that humbles every single human being and says, as much as you try, as many resources as you might hoard, as big as you might build your own kingdom, you can't even do this very little thing, Jesus says. And then he goes on to say, so why do you worry about the rest? You can't even do this little thing, like add one day to your life. So then what's all this worry about? Would you come to know me? And get connected to the eternal source of all things, of creativity and life and beauty. How more magnificent is just the depths of the Pacific Ocean than anything any human could ever come up with or imagine or create. And there we see our perspective is adjusted, right? And really, as we build to communion this morning, all I want to do is look at two biblical stories that I think will help us to understand our position in life with God, in his kingdom, life with Jesus, as Jesus is building his kingdom. And so the first one is from 2 Samuel chapter 9. You Bible scholars will know this one. This is, uh, we pick up in the story in the Old Testament where David has become king. He's just gone through big battles with Saul, and he's finally kind of settled all those battles, and he has become king, and now there's a new question. What kind of king will David be? And we learn in verse 1 of chapter 9 that David's desire is to show kindness to his enemies that anyone left from the house of Saul for Jonathan's sake, who was his friend, Saul's son, that he wants to give them kindness. 
But there was only one person left from the house of Saul. His name was Mephibosheth. It's a hard name. He was one of Jonathan's sons. He was the grandson of Saul. And so David calls for him. And as Mephibosheth comes and is introduced into the, the royal table banquet area, he falls to his knees in homage to David. And the scripture picks up this way. It says, And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And then Mephibosheth paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul, to all his house, I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both feet. So we see here, this is a unique picture of an allusion to the great heavenly table as King David is a picture in this one image and his love and mercy to Mephibosheth as a picture of an invitation that is given to each and every person. Namely, did you catch at the end here, we learn that Mephibosheth is lame. And so David extends mercy to his enemy. Not only that, he fully restores Mephibosheth's household, Saul's household, for future generations. And then he says, each and every day, I want to recline at the table with my enemy and extend mercy to him. And I wonder for Mephibosheth what this would have meant. There's a beautiful song by a band named Leland that captures this with the title, Carried to the Table. That every day the lame Mephibosheth was carried into the royal courts to the kingly table and there was reclining with David and able to dine with him. And it is so clear in the story that there's no way that Mephibosheth would have thought that he earned his position at the royal table, right? That he's literally carried each and every day that scholars think even him being lame may have been because of his war injuries, suffered fighting David and his kingdom, and yet he's there at the table, experiencing the mercy, but not just mercy in uh, words, but mercy in sustenance, in 
care, sharing in the royal banquet. I can see all ways in which this connects us to our story. From Luke 12, we are invited to be at the Lord's table. We are invited to sit with the king. And the way that we sit and the way that they used to sit is kind of different. Again, if we think about the picture of what it means to be at a banquet, we think in our terms, right? We think about sitting at a table and having chairs and a table, uh, maybe some nice things on the table. But in Jesus' day, they actually laid down on mats, more like couches. And so when we read in Scripture about reclining, we could even picture like a beach chair or that posture of reclining. This was as if you were in the most comfortable position at the table that you could. Scholars say probably not good for digestion, but great for community. Great for this experience of saying, I'm not in a rush. I got nowhere to get to. I have no alerts on my phone or next thing in my schedule. What I have is this time to relax with you in friendship and fellowship. And there was a real intimacy in this picture of reclining. Jumping to the New Testament, we get another beautiful picture in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew's testimony. Many of you know Matthew was a tax collector. And of course, this was one of the worst things that you could be to any good Jew. Because they were occupied by Roman occupiers. They were oppressed and exploited financially. And that was a way for the Roman Empire to keep a thumb on their occupied people. And one of the things that they would do is go find people that would have been from the occupied uh, culture and get them to be their tax collectors. Get them to do their bidding, to play ball with the empire. And if they would, then, then they would be able to benefit greatly financially for themselves personally. But it was a great betrayal. And so Pharisees uh, would have actually excluded tax collectors, who they labeled as tax collectors, almost synonymous with sinner as a label of people. And they wouldn't be allowed into the temple. And yet we discover that as Jesus is starting to build the community and teach them of disciples and teach them about his kingdom, one of his stops along the way is to Matthew, a tax collector. And he invites him to be one of his disciples. And then the story continues in Matthew chapter 9, that after he invited Matthew, then Jesus went and reclined at the table in his house with many other tax collectors and sinners. They came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And so again, we see this same picture. These people that know that they could not have earned their position of reclining, 
with Jesus. And this one isn't an already conquered people. This is in the tension, the great tension of being occupied, of the great frustrations that were going on for the Jewish people, wondering when their oppression would end, wondering when this would all be over, and yet Jesus is there, reclining with the exact wrong people. And he's resting, he's letting his guard down, and he's spending time with them. And this was so offensive to the Pharisees that they took Jesus to task, and then we read his answer for why he did what he did, and he says this, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, God and... uh, Go and learn what it means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So I just want to ask a couple questions this morning about worry and anxiety. And our posture towards building our kingdom. Or our posture towards living in God's kingdom in light of these two pictures. Is it possible that when it comes to our faith, and maybe you've been in a place before where you feel like this, where you feel like you have to so get it right, you have to check every box, that your hands go from open to tight and clinging, Have you ever met a person who's holding so tight that they don't realize that they can recline with Jesus? That we can get so wound up and anxious when it comes to the things of our lives and even the things in our Bibles that we just simply forget this fundamental invitation to recline with Jesus. You see, no person in this room has every last answer or a perfect theology. In fact, in the Presbyterian documents, it makes all kinds of space for majoring in the majors, and then when it comes to the minors, we get to talk about it. But all of that doesn't matter if we don't learn how to recline. If our fundamental posture isn't recognizing, like Mephibosheth, that we are seated at a table that we don't deserve to be at. And it is only by his grace and mercy that we get to have what we have. How does that deal with your anxiety this morning? To just simply take all your kingdom building and just give it to Jesus and to say, in faith, I don't know all the answers for all of the questions that I need to get to, 
but I do know that God is generous and loving and young and creative and can think of solutions to all of your problems that you can't think of. And the invitation then is to just simply recline with him at the table. And if you can relax and be open-handed, there you are in the right position to receive the kingdom of God and to be welcomed into this new way of life that Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Would you come to me? all who are weary and heavy laden. Just be with me at my table and take the risk that everything else will be added unto you. Many Christians have walked this path. I have yet to meet the one who said, I put my trust in Jesus and I decided I wasn't going to build my kingdom, but I was going to build the kingdom of God that came back to me and said, well, boy, that was a mistake. I've only met people who have decided to make that choice, have said to me, somehow, some way, all the details were managed because I put my focus in the right place and it was the path of peace and joy and resilience and mercy and so our hearts can be glad knowing we don't know what we don't know, but that's okay because Jesus does. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, prepare our hearts to join you at the table, to recline with you, to lay down our worries and our anxieties for the sake of of your peace and joy. Lord, make us a people who can sing even in the midst of the unknowing, who can love in the midst of the unknowing, who can declare that you are good and right and true and holy, even in the midst of our own unknowing. And Lord, help us to not so much live in some future that we imagined of scarcity and threat, but in a present reality where we recognize that you are here and that you are going to take care of everything that we need. In your precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.